0: Hello, everyone, uh, and welcome to the 18th episode of the Experience Talk podcast. And today we will be talking about embedding voice of customer data in contact center. I'm NK, head of customer experience at Service Center, and I'm delighted to host today a corporate CX influencer, leader, speaker, author, and a consultant, Michael Gumsavidas. Hi, Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you today doing?
1: Hello, NK. I'm doing great. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me on and looking forward to our conversation.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Micah. And before we just uh, start uh, to deep dive into our conversations, I just wanted uh, if you can share a little bit about yourself to our audience, Michael.
1: Sure. Um, Michael Hinshaw. I'm the founder and president of M Corp CX. We're a San Francisco-based management consulting firm that has been around for about 20 years, and we only help organizations with customer experience improvement, Uh, specifically things like building internal capabilities, improving customer journeys and experiences, helping to define measurement systems and identify technologies that help organizations to better understand their customers and deliver the services their customers desire. So, thanks.
0: Yeah, awesome. I think it's going to be fun to to know in deep dive and understanding, take your learnings about your contact center experience, Michael. So um, I think uh, uh, let's get started with our first question. And I think we want to understand how do you adopt a voice of customer data inside the contact center, uh, Michael?
1: Yeah, there's a number of different ways to to do that. Essentially, whether it's in the contact center or any part of the organization, the real challenge is uh, twofold. The first is how do you use the interactions that agents have with customers to gather information about those customers' experiences, and then utilize that data to improve the experience that both the contact center and other parts of the organization provide. The second part is related to that, which is using the data to help agents do a better job delivering the experiences to customers that customers desire. So that can take place in a number of different ways. It could take place... Uh, by segment or customer type or product group. So larger groups of data that indicate uh, behaviors that the entire contact center should potentially adopt. Um, It could also be customer specific where you're solving specific problems that individual customers have. But being able to see, access, and leverage that data is the challenge that most organizations
0: have. Absolutely. I think I agree with you that there's so much of variation of data available in specifically in the contact center when we try to merge with, with the voice of customer at the large, right? But if I have to ask you that, uh, if when, when you start moving your data uh, and provide a holistic view of voice of customer, what was your like first step to uh, get this started? And how did you get this started?
1: Yeah, you know, the the first thing is having a system in place. You know, a framework essentially that allows you to gather and analyze the data. And today, most organizations have lots and lots and lots of data. They don't have many insights.
0: I agree, I agree.
1: So, so the challenge is how do you, you know, to your point, get started? And you can get started simply. There, you know, whether it's just a simple, you know, customer satisfaction survey or a question that follows up after an interaction or, or transaction, um, or it might be something that the agent themselves ask the customer to better understand. And then use that data to feed back into the broader system. But as they say, you know, a journey of a, of a thousand miles begins with a single step. With any type of customer information, uh, you know, customer experience improvement initiative, it's the same thing. It's taking that first step and doing so mindfully right? Because it you know, was it. my my dad had a uh, an aphorism when I was young. He had a lot of these. He said, if you don't know where you're going, you'll never get there. Uh, so
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: you'd, have a, you'd have a clear understanding of what it is you're trying to accomplish. So just asking uh, customers for information and not acting on it and not using it, uh, you're better
0: off not doing anything. Absolutely. I agree with you. Um, on this like as you rightly said there's so much of data available already right before the customer is actually trying to contact the contact center right so uh, like what do you see that is the under is the listening to the omni channel data already available in social media does it also helps contact center like providing this to the greater insight overall or is it is yeah, just I mean- the data that we get from the customer when they reach out or try to reach uh, try to contact the agents
1: yeah it's not a one or the other it's within the framework of your your desire to better understand your customers and in your strategy around as we talked about earlier leveraging that information mm-hmm. so social absolutely you can do a lot of social listening to understand groups of customers you can also use social listening to identify individual customer problems Combining that with other sources of information, whether agent-directed, survey-directed, or pulling information from your systems, telemetry data, what customers actually do, and understanding that in the context of what customers say they want and do. Sometimes those are different things. Uh, Being able to correlate and understand those differences will do a significantly greater job than just listening to one channel or the other.
0: Yeah, absolutely i think just one question came up to my mind when uh, we look at our data of customers on the social media point of view right so there are so much of influencers also available and there is a competition also right so if i'm a brand there is a lot of people who talk about those brands positive and negative Mm -hmm. so if you are designing an experience for a for the organization how do you eliminate like a gambling or like a gamification of those type of conversations that is happening on the social media how do you know that it's a genuine feedback or like not so genuine then how how, how you give uh, consideration to those type of feedback uh, to the organization Michael?
1: yeah i think if i understand your your question correctly and i might not so let me know uh, if i if i'm answering the question yeah, you sure. asked um but we understand the importance of the competitive market space yeah. and what people are saying about your organization in the context of you know what they're saying about competitors. But in general, what we found to be more relevant is for companies to listen to the information that's specifically about them. Essentially, if you if you put your customers first and if you worry about what your customers want, think, feel, need and do, the competition will essentially take care of itself. I don't mean to be glib. I know that the competitive marketplace is very difficult uh, and, and every, virtually every organization has multiple competitors, You know, both large, well-established as well as small, fast-moving startups. And the reality is that you know, our point of view is that if you do a great job delivering the experiences and services your customers want, you're going to do a better job than your competitors. The reality is, you have the ability to learn more about your customers than any competitive organization does. You know back to this first question you asked, you know where do you start? Well, you start with a plan. And yeah. if that plan is based on understanding your customers better than anyone else and then serving them better than anyone else based on that knowledge, you're going to win. If you Absolutely. constantly look at what others are doing, right? You're going to spend all your time
0: looking at what others are doing. What about <laughs> what you're doing? <laughs> so, agree, agree. And now I think like you said it very rightly, but I think I would say that in the actual uh, deployment of this strategy, right, you know, when when organization has to deploy this strategies, it's not that easy, you know. So I want to understand from you that when you deploy certain strategies in the organization, right, what are the challenges, is been faced during the adoption of it?
1: Yeah, there's uh, probably three major areas of challenge. Um, the first is and it's probably the biggest which is cultural you know i say cultural means it's it's change using information to change the way that people work Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's a significant cultural shift for most call centers and most organizations all up Uh, and what that also when i say cultural it's not just how the agents uh feel it's how they're rewarded and compensated so if, you're, if you tell your agents, your call center teams that, you know, customer satisfaction, just for example, is really important to us, but you don't have any metrics, performance metrics around satisfaction. If the performance metrics are all around, you know, call time or, you know, length of time on phone or whatever those specific things, you know, operational metrics might be, then your agents are going to ignore all the satisfaction stuff because they're not being measure rewarded on it. So, so cultural is the is a big one and that cultural flows both ways. Agents need to know that they have permission to deliver the experiences that the organization says that it wants to deliver. But at the same time, the organization has to actually reward them for doing that, right? And, and that's a, a big shift, uh, particularly in call centers. Um, the second area is in uh, processes, you know, and these aren't in priority order, by the way, they're both, you know, all three of these are, you know, depending on the company, uh, you know, one might be pri- primary, another secondary, another tertiary, and they could reverse entirely in another business. But when I say processes, it's how do you use information in the organization? Do you use that information to make decisions throughout the company and only part of a company? Do you have a process for determining, you know, how, how you get information about a particular customer's problem versus, uh, you know, groups of problems that are common that you can solve with a, a big fix? And the third area is really technology and data handling related. What tools do you use to gather it? So gathering the data appropriately, using the appropriate tech and and data warehouses, platforms, analysis, et cetera, to do that. Um, Processes to appropriately manage that data internally and then use it to make decisions. And then again, back to the first one we talked about, which is how do you actually use that to drive change in the organization resulting in? Better customer experiences, happier customers, and a better competitive uh, performance in the marketplace.
0: Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> I think I totally uh, uh, resonate this this problem because when we work, we also work with the contact center to understand their omni-channel presence. I think the first thing is the cultural benefit and culture change, and I think most of the time we see a variance in that, right? And where we are, like if you have a contact center and a global company then there is a diversity into a different culture also right so if you are uh like uh, serving for a contact center that has a different region and different regions have a different culture does it does it has any impact on your processes michael
1: yeah it, it absolutely can it doesn't necessarily have to um in, in most uh, call centers that we've worked in or most you know service centers Customers don't necessarily get to choose and it's not always uh, easy to determine how calls uh, are routed or when I say calls, right? Um, In an omni-channel contact center, calls are just one of the channels, right? It could be, you know, calls, social, email, chat, et cetera. Uh, But the the routing of those inquiries, those requests, those interactions to the right, uh, when I say the right, right? To the to the most culturally relevant uh, agents is a difficult task for even global organizations to do.
0: Yeah, got it. Yeah, I think like I have my personal experience. Like you know, uh, if if you uh, if if you are like uh, uh, having one culture presence, like specifically for if a German gets like you know uh, received a call from an American, like you know the, the way they speak is different, right? So. It it's a it does it like for organization it it matters most to match up the most relevant uh like way to cater those customers so that they're more uh like understanding their personal culture to answer their feedback. You know,
1: their- we actually yeah. So we we typically don't look at it from the perspective only because there are so many different cultural nuances. It's very and and again matching cultural nuance to. You know, customer. I mean, somebody could be living in Germany, but live. You know, have moved there from India or China or any, so. It's very again difficult to figure out that cultural piece. What is common are you know kind of core communication styles, and you can train agents to understand communicate their own communication styles. Uh, there's something called the the Merrill model that essentially allows you to you know assess. Whether you're uh, you know, somebody who asks a lot of questions, for example, or, or somebody who tells stories, you know, there's four major components to it. And if you recognize your communication style as an agent and you're able to recognize the communication style of your customer, it's called essentially style shifting. So you adopt your style to match the style of the caller. And those, that's a universal. It's not a, you know, US versus Germany versus wherever else. It's a human, right? We as humans communicate in you know, four primary ways. Uh, you know, there, there are many others, obviously. But simplistically, when you look at it for you know, driving change inside the call center, you want to make it as easy to understand as possible. So being able to match communication styles, uh, we found to be much more effective than trying to match you know, cultural backgrounds, because it's very difficult to understand you know, what those cultural backgrounds actually are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think like so. You would say that humanizing the experience would take care of this if we focus our agents to train them more on humanizing the experience as compared to the regional or like local uh, processes.
1: Yes, and, and that's a great phrase, humanizing the experience. And there's a couple of components to that. Communication style is one of those. Uh, another is empathy. It's being able to put yourself in the shoes of your customer to understand where they're coming from. It's you know active listening. actually hearing what your customers are saying. Oftentimes, uh, traditional call centers, I say traditional, right? I recognize there's not necessarily any such thing, but more typically, call center agents are dealing with a large volume of inquiries. They're uh, compensated or measured or both on how quickly they get through those calls. Uh, Many times they don't take the time to listen to customers necessarily. And the thing that's ironic is when you listen, you're able to better solve customer problems more quickly. So listening does not necessarily take more time. In fact, listening can often take less time because listening and responding correctly to begin with allows you to avoid escalations, for example, avoid transfers to supervisors, avoid all those things that end up costing, you know, call centers a lot of money. So maybe you take a, a little bit more time on an individual call uh, or at the beginning of an individual call, but that also puts you in a position as an agent where you can better solve the customer problem in a way that aligns with customers' expectations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's great insight, uh, Michael, about like how we can bring in uh, the agents and what are the key things that we need to focus on in in, in, in respective of managing the customer expectation. Now I'm just going to uh, take a step back and relate this to the question that you said that there's a lot of metrics available in the contact center that an agent has to look at it and also like uh, it there has to be something that why agents should perform well, right? There is an incentive mechanism system, right? Mm-hmm. Specifically in contact center to uh, provide to do a better job for themselves. So, uh, like, how do you like? If you have a large contact center, then how do you bring in your uh, like agents, team members uh, to perform to the goal of a BOC? So, if if the CSAT is one of the goal uh, to provide a great customer experience, then what are how do you uh, get your agents and leaders invited and adopt this strategy within themselves, and how they can own it. Maybe, if I ask simply.
1: Yeah. So first, I just want to you a full disclosure. I, I don't consider myself a contact center expert in any way, shape, or form. All right. We do a lot of work with contact centers. We also do a lot of work with sales, with marketing, with operations. Uh, so. My answer is going to apply equally to to any organization that's trying to bring voice of the customer into their operations, and contact center obviously being one of those areas. And I think we talked about this a little bit earlier, but one of the one of the biggest issues is support for what the agents are actually uh, what the agents need to do to deliver against the essentially the promise of the organization, what the organization is telling their customers they they'll deliver and there's a lot of that that's going to be driven by, you know, management's willingness to give their people, uh, you know, some ability to respond based on what those individuals think is best. So in the world of customer centricity, you know, super scripted, uh, you know, calls where the agent has to go through the screen and say, if the customer says this, this, or this, yep. then these are my only four available responses you know, that essentially shuts down and eliminates the ability of an agent to actually deliver, you know, in in a human way. And we we like to think of the kinds of things organizations uh, who are successful at this do is like setting up bumper rails in a bowling alley that essentially allow within, you know, strictly defined guidelines and give the agents essentially, you know, full license to do what they think best for the customer provided they do it within this particular framework. So it's, it's both freeing to the agent, but it's also very difficult for, you know, traditional call center and other parts of the organization alike that, that feel the need to control, particularly, you know, an agent environment. But we've seen the companies that give more uh, kind of self, uh, that allow their agents to be more self-directed, have, you know, lower turnover, again, back to the cost side, right? Most call centers have really high turnover. And a lot of that's because, you know, if you're just in there, if you're a cog, if you feel like you're a cog in a machine, you know, if you're only allowed to ask this question or this answer and you have no ability whatsoever to actually solve the customer's problem, you know, and that's how it feels, people leave because it's frustrating, right? None of us want to go into a job Absolutely. where we don't feel we're adding value. Uh, well, the vast majority of people, I don't, you don't, and I suspect that anybody working in a call center wants to feel like they're doing something useful. So you got to give them the framework to do that. And that's hard for uh, you know, organizations to adopt, and kind of going back to what's the, the biggest challenge for integrating it. It's actually the, the company putting the systems in place that allow their people to deliver against that.
0: Yeah, and I think like rightly said, I think I, I uh, understand that that is one of the reasons if it is not done right, then we often see there's a high churn uh, rate for the agent in the contact center. And if you want to manage that, I think we should focus on these areas so that agents feel empowered, uh, are able to take their own decisions to delight the customer. So I think I, I really uh, look at the way, uh, the way you think, Michael. I think it, it's, it's all yeah. on spot, yeah.
1: Um, it's, it's, it's ironic, right? Because in, yeah. in a call yeah. center, you know, in many cases, the call center's job is to solve customer problems in a way that retain those customers but if they're not helping agents yes. do that in a way that allow them to be self-directed, then they're gonna be losing agents and, and that's gonna end up costing you know, a lot yeah.
0: of money. Agree, agree. And I think, uh, let's say that how do you make sure, how do you make agents to own the feedback? So if if the customer is speaking to the agent and there is any feedback they'll receive mm-hmm. and the agent has, does agent has uh, ability to close the loop by themselves or how do we make sure that agent take ownership uh, to close the loop with the customers?
1: Yeah, there's uh, I guess a, a couple things related to that. Um, the the first so there's a couple different categories to this, right? One is you know, we say the agent owning the feedback. I see that as a different thing than the agent closing the loop. Mm-hmm. So. Let's just talk, let's talk about closing the loop first. Closing the loop is where you know a customer has an issue. Maybe it's an issue that happened elsewhere in the organization. The agent needs to have the ability to solve that customer's problem in a way that satisfies customer and meets that customer's expectations. So again, back to being self-directed, back to having agency, the ability to make decisions that are in the best interest of the customer. Um, you know, all of those things are, you know, policies, procedures, uh, essentially cultural elements, so to speak, that empower the agents. Um, owning the feedback. So I'll just kind of set that to one side. So owning the feedback is, and, and I consider this like feedback about an individual agent's performance. Yeah. So, you know, owning that feedback essentially means if a customer is dissatisfied with a call, if uh a customer is unhappy with the resolution if the customer you know is angry or upset or all those things and this goes back to the kind of the culture piece of it in many organizations that kind of feedback is looked at as failure yeah. with a capital f you failed you you upset our customer if we look at failure as learning rather than as failure that attitude in the organization um, empowers agents and gives them the ability to, to learn. If you tell someone that they're bad, they're going to feel bad. If you tell someone, hey, you know what, we can improve. This isn't a indication of, you know, the sum total of your experience, right? You are not a failure. You're learning. You're in learning mode. Essentially, it's a growth mindset. It's looking and you think about it, a growth mindset. You know, it's a, it's not a fixed point. You don't go from, you know, kind of a closed mindset to a growth mindset and, you know, you don't live on one place in that continuum, but the ability to say, Hey, I can learn from this. I'm curious, what can I do differently? What can I do better? But that attitude is not only important at the agent level. It's also something the organization has to encourage, promote, and support. Yeah. I mean, I
0: think like you have uh, said like I would say the golden bullet points for any contact center, or maybe like it, it is, it is actually for any of the organization, right? Who actually allowed their employees uh to, to fail, right? So so we encourage you to fail because when you fail, it's not failure, it's actually a learning curve, right? No. Uh so I think, yeah, I think this this is the golden line that I picked up from you. So thank you so much for sharing your insights, Michael, no. on this.
1: There's, uh, you know, for anyone who's uh, listening to this, uh, Mark Coopersmith, who's a, a friend and a colleague at UC Berkeley, where um, I'm a teaching fellow in entrepreneurship and innovation in the business school there. Mark Coopersmith uh, wrote a book with uh, his co-author, John Danner, called The Other F-Word, and, uh, and the other F-Word is failure. So it's a great read if uh, anyone's interested in checking that out learning more about how organizations can actually use failure. As a tool to learn and move forward, rather than as a, a judgment for where somebody ends up at a particular point in time.
0: Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. But I think I'm I'm gonna add this to my list as well. So, so thank you so much for recommending that as well, Michael. So, um, that's a great. Uh, I'm just so because uh, the agent has so much to say, and I think uh, somewhere like the failure, like you said, like you know, if the agent has shy away that if I'm gonna fail, what what happened if the customer is angry um, and, and they consider it as a failure for themselves. And this is actually a kind of voice of agents, right? So mm-hmm. like, do you see that there is any framework where agents can share their voice in the contact center? And what would you recommend for like, and what you have seen for your, your organization that you have worked with, Michael?
1: There's, there's formal and informal structures, uh, let's we'll talk about, you know, formal, formal structures, data-driven structures. Those are places where, you know, you have a, a metrics or data gathering or voice of the agent system in place, you know, it probably feeds into the same data store, probably uses the same tools you're using for, you know, voice of the customer. Um, and then similarly to voice of the customer, you want to have a closed loop. Where you have the ability to identify issues that individual agents are having, as well as you know issues that multiple agents are having that the organization can solve for you know a, a bigger problem. Um, so those are some of the more formal structures, and again, utilize the same listening tools uh, internally as you do externally in most cases. Um, informal structure includes things like uh, essentially you know groups of agents working together, essentially you know customer teams or. You know, informal uh, gatherings, we've seen uh, a couple of companies we work with have groups of, you know, customer advocates within the contact center, you know, and those uh, customer, those experienced advocates, they essentially bring together groups, they share best practices, they share things they've learned, they do so in both formal and informal settings, formal settings being, for example, uh, a, a webcast or a panel conversation for the entire organization to watch. Um, informal being coaching right and these aren't necessarily the supervisors these are the the agents that are you know the rock stars essentially in that organization that are passionate about the customer that understand customer issues that can mentor and train other agents internally so those kind of informal structures combined with formal structures allow the entire organization to up level when it comes to delivering great experiences
0: yeah absolutely and, and I think I just wanted to check with you, uh, uh, Michael, that what, if you can share an example of one of your best experience that ever you have got from a contact center, and if you can share that example with that audience today.
1: Oh, uh, sadly, <laughs> not, <laughs> not a long list. Um, yeah, the, I, I have a story that I tell about contact centers. It's not necessarily a contact center issue, but is an yes. organizational issue. So I'm flipping this around on you um, because it's a, yeah, a absolutely. So I think
0: right? I, I, if if you said right, I think uh, you're very right to say that is it not contact centered issue, but it is an organizational issue because I don't see uh, if there is an issue, it depends upon any specific department or any individual employee, but it's mm-hmm. it's the culture or it's the way how an organization lay, led uh, people to behave in a certain situation, right? If they have a better control or de- different different processes and in, uh, in their organization, probably you know, we can control a lot of issues. So I'm happy to yeah. hear that and just to get yeah. more insights out of this, Michael.
1: I mean, the, the reality is in virtually every contact center, you know what rolls downhill, right? Yeah. So the contact center is the one dealing with the expectations that have been set by uh, marketing, by sales, by operations, you know, um, retail, physical stores, whatever the organization is doing, Customers are satisfied or dissatisfied at different places along the, along their journey. And By the time they get to the t- contact center, they generally have a problem they need to get solved. Sometimes they come in with a positive attitude. Sometimes they come in with a negative attitude. And the ability, again, back to our earlier conversation, to listen, to understand, to uh, figure out what customer expectations are, and then be transparent when you're communicating with them. You know, uh, Be optimistic, but realistic. Right. So transparency mm-hmm. means you're not going to yeah. lie to them. You're gonna tell them what's what's actually going on. You're gonna let them, if you only have limited power to solve their problem, you tell them and then you tell them what you're gonna do about it, right? So optimistic, but realistic. I don't have authority to do this, but I'm gonna do my best. I'm gonna talk to my boss and he's got the authority. I don't know what he's gonna say, but, right? So those are the kinds of things that create rapport that help customers understand. But going back to the organizational question, I'm sure that you know wherever you are in the world, the same experience that I have here in the U.S. When I rarely call a contact center because I, I frankly don't have have time to do that most of the time. Um, but when you when you do call, like in the U.S. to say internet provider or a phone company, uh, you know one of the first things they ask you is to enter in your account number or your phone number, some kind of personally identifiable information, so they can route you correctly. So you dig that information up, you type it in, and then you go through the voice tree and you finally end up after some length of time with an agent. Invariably, what's the first thing that agent asks you? They say, what's your phone number? What's your account number? And and for me personally, that kind of thing makes me nuts. It's like, I just entered that in. Obviously your systems aren't talking to each other and there's only two possible answers. One, you're incompetent. And two, you don't care about me or respect my time. Um, so those kinds of things that are, to your point, organizational issues create problems for agents that are solvable long before it gets to the agent, right? So little things that are annoyances that are friction points. So how do you as an organization identify and eliminate friction wherever possible, knowing that the better job you do with that, the easier it's going to be for your agents to solve the problems your customers started with.
0: Awesome, I think it's a great uh, insight, uh, Michael. I think. Uh, either the technology can help or the processes and if it downs towards the agent then probably it's a more of a training uh, resource uh, giving them empowerment uh, to, to behave like to provide a great customer experience um, yeah. i think uh, like i think just to interest of time i think we're almost at the end of the conversation today but i just wanted to share uh, i just wanted to ask you uh, michael if there is anything specific that you want to share with our audience who are actually uh, starting like a small contact center. So what are the key priorities they should focus on?
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say, uh, you know, set realistic boundaries for your agents. When I say realistic boundaries, you know, uh, you want to put things in place that will give them the ability to solve customer problems, but not do so in a way that's gonna be negative for your business. Mm -hmm. It's essentially not over controlling your agents, um, but giving them uh, enough room to solve the problems that customers have. And That control issue is probably one of the biggest ones that, that we see in, in organizations that are starting up. They want to control every single aspect. They want to script everything. Um, so that's the first thing. And, and the second thing is I'd start at the very beginning by making a voice of the customer part of your rhythm of business. So as you start up or, or scale a contact center, it's much easier to bring voice of the customer into your processes at the beginning than it is to drive them through at the end
0: awesome thank you so much michael for your sound bites today and uh, we appreciate all the time today and i think i'm sure that our listeners will have more questions to you so please uh, watchful for uh, watch for this to go live and then we'll have more discussion on this as well michael
1: great okay absolute pleasure thanks so much for your time and enjoyed our conversation
0: thank you thanks a lot everyone for listening in we will be again next week with another interesting topic and an awesome CX influencer. Thank you once again and stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you so much.